Job chapter 2. Again, on the day when God's sons came to present themselves before Yahweh, Satan came also among them to present himself before Yahweh. Yahweh said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered Yahweh and said, From going back and forth in the earth and from walking up and down in it. Yahweh said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him in the earth, a blameless and an upright man, one who fears God and turns away from evil. He still maintains his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. Satan answered Yahweh and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will renounce you to your face. Yahweh said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of Yahweh and struck Job with painful sores from the sole of his foot to his head. He took for himself a pot's herb to scrape himself with, and he sat down among the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still maintain your integrity? Renounce God and die. And he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women who would speak. What, shall we receive good at the hand of God and not receive evil? In all this, Job didn't sin with his lips. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come on him, they each came from his own place. Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite. And they made an appointment together to come and sympathize with him and to comfort him. When they were lifted up their eyes, when they lifted up their eyes from a distance, they didn't recognize him. They raised their voices and wept. And each, and they each tore his robe and sprinkled dust on their heads towards the sky. They sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Well, welcome to the comments for Job chapter 2. Now in the last chapter, we found out that Job was accused. All these terrible things happened to him, but he managed to maintain his integrity. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. And he didn't blame the Lord. And that's actually hard to do. And uh, has anything bad ever happened to you in your life and you've just gone to blame God? A lot of people do. And um, there's, uh, there's a psalm we're going to get to later in the Bible, the Psalm of David. And uh, you could summarize the psalm <laughs> uh, by... Uh, by saying, you know, that David's attitude towards the Lord is, with friends like you, who needs enemies? <laughs> because in the psalm, David just says to the Lord, why are you doing this to me? Now, he, he um, David main, maintains his integrity there too. There's a way of questioning the Lord without blaming the Lord. And um, Job doesn't blame the Lord 
But as we're going to find out as we go through the book, Job does question the Lord. He wants to know why. And I think that God's big enough to handle it. And if you ever go through problems in your life, and and in Job chapter 2, we're about to discuss an even deeper level of problem he has to go through, you can ask the Lord why without blaming the Lord. You can say to the Lord, why did you allow this to happen to me? Why did you bring this pain upon me? Just think of Jesus on the cross. Jesus is going through pain and suffering on behalf of the world, and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So even Jesus is asking why, but not blaming. And there is a big difference there. And so in my life, I've, I've been through things. I've never blamed the Lord, but I have definitely questioned why. And I think it's a very legitimate thing to do. And I think God's big enough to handle your questioning and your doubting. And you should definitely take it to the Lord. And so here in Job chapter 2, the devil comes before the Lord again and accuses a second time. And basically he says, um, you know, skin for skin, you know, you've, you've uh, you know, strike him, strike him in his very own body and he's going to turn himself on you. So it's another accusation that basically says he's not authentic, he's not genuine, but, you know, let's test him out and see. In the book of John chapter 10, verse 10, um, Jesus says that, that, that the thief comes to rob, to steal and destroy but he came to give life and life abundantly. And so we know that the Lord Jesus Christ, his intentions for us are good, but the intentions of the evil one are to destroy. Satan, when he accuses Job the first time and when he accuses him the second time, he doesn't have any regard for Job's actual integrity. He doesn't care whether Job is actually good or not. He just wants to see Job hurt. So he brings the accusation so that he can be hurt. So it's the epitome of pure evil. He wants bad things to happen. And that's the nature of the evil one. He just wants bad things to happen to you. But the accusation brings it about. And so finally, um, he, you know, Job is tested a second time and it raises the genuine question of motivation, not just for Job, but for all people. And um, so all the way through the historical books of the Bible, we've been taught this lesson over and over and over again. Follow the Lord and you'll be blessed. But now we come to the book of Job and we realize that, there, that why we follow the Lord is also a thing. The question of motivation is now introduced because we now moved on from the historical books. We're now into the wisdom writings and we're starting to think about things at a deeper level. And so the question must be asked not only of Job, but of you. Why do you follow the Lord? Do you follow the Lord only so that you can be blessed? Or are you following the Lord because you truly love him? (laughs) And I think, I thought about this myself, I, I think we do follow the Lord to be blessed. I think there's some level of that in there. And I think some level of that's okay. Because we know that the Lord loves us. We know we need his love. We know we can't survive without it. We want to be with him. We know that if we're not with him, it's terrible. So we know all of that. But at the same time, we're growing, I think, in being selfless. We're learning to be like our Lord. So I think it's a journey of both. (laughs) And I think it's good to ask ourselves these questions. Why? Why do we follow the Lord? If the Lord was to remove every blessing from us right now, would we still follow him? And I think the answer would have to be 
that, yeah, because we know that life's eternal, we want to be with the Lord in heaven. So we're still looking for benefits. Um, so there's still some level of knowing that the Lord loves us and we want to be with him. We knowing that's the better place. Anyway, uh, after he goes through this, this um, second accusation, the devil strikes him with a terrible skin disease. And everyone seems to be trying to figure out what the skin disease is. <laughs> Some people thought it was leprosy. You're reading you know, books that have discussed this thing. Some people think it's leprosy. Um, I don't think it could be leprosy because you know all the rules about leprosy where leprosy was such a terrible thing that everyone wanted to stay away from it. So I think maybe it wasn't leprosy, but we don't know for sure. Somebody said it was elephantitis or elephantiasis which is a terrible disease where it seems like you, the lymph nodes in the body swell up and the body gets bigger and bigger and bigger. I saw a guy in India with elephantitis once and his leg was like, had swollen up like this thick and he couldn't walk. He had to sit on like a little skateboard type of a thing and roll along. It was horrible. Um, I had a dose of culture shock. Um, some people think it was that. Um, because as Job goes through, he describes some of his symptoms. He, he has crusty skin with cracks in it. He has stinky breath and he has shortness of breath. He has sleepless nights. His skin is burning. So some people think that all these symptoms are more than just leprosy and, you know, could be right. And also he scrapes himself with pottery. And some people think that you wouldn't do that if you only had boils or you only had leprosy, but they think you would do it if you had something like elephantitis. I'm no expert, but anyway, that's a thing. So he, he gets this terrible disease and his wife comes along and says, why don't you just curse God and die? So right then, now he's lost sympathy from his wife. So, you know, you can, a lot of people could put up with all sorts of pain and anxiety if they knew that their spouse would stand alongside them and say, well, darling, I know you've done nothing wrong and we'll get through this, but no, no spousal support at all. John Chrysostom, a very, very famous Bible preacher from the 300s, or maybe it's the 400s, lived a long time ago, and he was the Bishop of Antioch, and he said that, you know, some people had been asking the question, why didn't the devil kill Job's wife? And he said, the answer is right here, because the devil knew <laughs> that she would be a source of further pain to him. Well, she is. The devil must have figured out by leaving his wife alone, she would be, she would torture him even more, and she clearly does. I thought, when I was reading this, I thought, thank God my wife is not like this lady. <laughs> my wife is so faithful to the Lord. She would never say that. And uh, thank God a lot of Christian women are so faithful and wonderful too, not like this woman. And um, so along come his three friends, and uh, we call them friends because they're, they're only friends uh, in the sense that they've been friends up to this point. From this point on, they're not really friends because all the things they say don't come across as true friends would, you know, true friends wouldn't act like the way that these friends are going to act in the rest of the book of Job. These three friends are Eliphaz, the Temanite, and from tomorrow we're going to get into the first speech. Oh, no, no, uh, from chapter four on, the first speech of Eliphaz. The second friend, Bildad, the Shuhite, and the third is Zophar, the Namathite. So Taman, you know, Eliphaz is from Taman. That's believed to be in the area of Edom. Bildad the Shuhite. Shua is believed to be in Haran, somewhere up near where Jacob's uncle Laban lived. 
And Zophar the Namathite, no one has a clue where Namath or Namath are. No one has a clue where that is. It's a mystery location. So these three friends, but two of them at least, come from some distance. They're not living there, but they know of Job and they travel. Um, Taman in the area of Edom is at least, you know, 100 miles, but maybe a couple of hundred miles from where Uz is. So we're just guessing about some of this. But it's a journey. It's not just a case of uh, hopping hop in your car and you're there in half an hour or just, you know, take a little walk, you're there in a day. It's a bigger effort than that. So these friends have come. They sit down with Job and they wait for seven days and no one says anything. And then finally, in chapter three tomorrow, Job is going to speak and we're going to get to that. So I'm just going to close with uh, a comment that was made by Bert Kaufman. And he said, he said, up to this point, you would have thought that uh, nothing worse could possibly happen to Job because <laughs> it is pr pretty bad to this point. I don't know if you've actually taken the time to put yourself into Job's position, but you imagine 10 children and you lose them all. You imagine losing your business, losing your livelihood, losing all your source of income, all your savings, all your bank accounts, losing your house, lo losing all respect and losing your health. So you're just a wreck, you can hardly breathe. And then your wife turning around and saying, words to the effect of stuff you, it's all your fault. Just curse God and die. So you imagine you've lost everything. And Bert Kaufman said, that's hard to imagine, you know, you would have thought that nothing worse could happen at this point. And then he added, but wait, here come his friends. <laughs> it's not funny, but his friends are going to pile on the, t pile on the pain and they're gonna do it for the next like 27 chapters. And uh, well, you know, from chapter four on, for about 27 or 28 chapters, they're gonna pile on the pain. We're gonna get to that. And so Job basically goes through a great deal of anguish and torment. And uh, so that's why a lot of us can relate because, you know, we can't relate to Job in totality, but we, uh, some of us have had things we've had to go through where we can relate to his pain and his suffering. And I just have to say, that the weapon of accusation is a terrible, terrible weapon and you need to understand the weapon of accusation so you can deal with it. But I also want you to say, to understand that the Lord Jesus Christ went through the pain of Job. He went through your pain and my pain. He went through the pain of every human being. He took it upon himself at the cross. The Lord understands. And that's one of the great redeeming points of the book of Job is that we have a question about why is there pain and suffering? But we also have a saviour who understands that he came and took that pain and suffering on himself. So Lord, we thank you for, Lord, the fact that you took, Lord, our humanity onto yourself. You took our pain and suffering on yourself. And so, Lord, we don't understand why sometimes, but we know that there are answers and they're in you. We also know that you're willing to carry our burdens. We thank you that we have a saviour like that who carries the burdens of people. So I pray, Lord, you take our burdens today and carry them for us. Lift us up. And Lord, I pray that our faith would be strengthened and our love for Christ would grow and your blessing would be upon us in the name of Jesus. Amen.